if you place a ball on an incline, which way is it going to roll? Down. In the same way that water always flows downward, downhill. And if I'm standing on the ground upright, my body is essentially what angle in comparison to the ground? Like a 90 degree angle, right? Yeah, it's just basic physics, things, things we know, we, we take for granted. And so, of course, your answers are right, normally. There's a couple places in the world that, evidently, there are exceptions to that. If you're standing in a 150-foot diameter circle in Santa Cruz, California, for example, or if you're standing in a 300-foot diameter circle in St. Ignace, Michigan, then it's different. Those, those rules of physics that you know, those, those physics that you just take for granted every day, they, they, don't, they don't apply, evidently. These places are called the mystery spot. Has anybody ever heard of the mystery spot? You have, yes. The mystery spot. So in these places, balls roll uphill. Water flows uphill. You can stand at extreme angles and never fall over. Now, I've been to one of these mystery spot places, and I'm one, well, I'll say 99.9% .9 sure it's an illusion that is for entertainment purposes. It's a tourist trap, okay? But when you're standing in the mystery spot and you're in this environment, it is trippy. It's really confusing because nothing that you accept as normal works. Everything's abnormal. You don't, you don't know what's up. You don't know what's down. It, it's just confusing. You start to ask yourself, you know, what kind of world am I in? And I bring this up because you may have never been to a mystery spot. You may have never heard of a mystery spot. But I'm wondering if you've ever asked this question. What kind of world am I living in? Does it ever feel like all the things that you have come to know as normal are now replaced with the abnormal? Do you ever find yourself confused by the things that you are experiencing in the world around you? Well, I would say, of course you do. Because to you and to me, God is normal. Absolute truth is normal. A Savior named Jesus is normal. The Bible that reveals all these truths to us, that's normal. But out there, it's not normal. It's almost like you step into a mystery spot. It's almost like, like we're living in two different worlds. On the one hand, we, we come to the Word of God today and it tells us, in Him, in God, you live and you move and you have your being. But then there's this other world where it wants to operate outside of the true God of the Bible. And so I think it really just, it begs a very important question, a question that, that we need to wrestle with and come, come up with an answer to more and more. And it's this question. How do I live and move and have my being in God when I live in a godless world? So that's what we want to explore as we take a look at these words from Acts chapter 17. I wonder if the Apostle Paul ever asked this question. 
What kind of world am I in? Because as we, as we come to him here in, uh, in Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. And, and the comfortable, familiar setting of, of Jerusalem, that's miles away, literally and, and figuratively. The God was replaced with many gods. The temple was replaced with multiple temples and and countless statues, each one dedicated to a different God. The known about God was replaced with the unknown. And and there's a description of this wide-eyed experience of Paul as we get into our text. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And then he says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Imagine how strange, how confusing that must have been. And yet it's interesting that Paul immediately and rightly diagnoses what's going on. Paul knows that people have a a natural sense of God. You just have to look around to have that sense. And unless you just completely suppress it, you have this sense of God. And then he also knew then that people will naturally try to seek a God of some sort. And then it naturally follows that people will naturally, uh, people will, will worship in some way, shape, or form. People are built to worship. And these are just questions of purpose, aren't they? How did I get here? Why am I here? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? And so Paul saw all of this. He saw people trying to answer those questions, people trying to satisfy those, that, those natural inclinations. And so what did they do? They built a system of gods, and they built a system to worship, so much so that they even constructed this unknown god just to be sure they didn't miss anything, right? Just to, just to cover all of their bases. And by the way, Isn't that kind of ironic that anything about a God would have to be constructed by people? But anyway, just strange, confusing. Everything was upside down. Now, as we kind of take this in and put ourselves in in Paul's sandals, how do you and I often start to feel once we encounter something that is very spiritually upside down? You do feel it, don't you? Maybe it's the eyes starting to roll in disgust. Maybe it's the shoulders going back in superiority to these people. Maybe our chest puffing out in self-congratulatory pride. Maybe it's that inner feeling where we want to mock or condemn idols, really. (laughs) Even something that's unknown, how foolish, how ignorant, right? You feel that, right? Before that feeling completely takes over us, I want us to do something. I have a suggestion. Before we start talking about the Athenians or the godless world around, I think what we need to do is walk around the Areopagus of our own hearts. To to look carefully and see our own idols, our objects of worship that we have constructed there. Can we do that? So I'll just ask some questions. How have we constructed, how have we constructed a temple that will comfortably contain our God? 
we ever compartmentalize him to just certain corners of our lives? We pick and choose what we want to believe about God and what we don't want to believe about him? Do we change our God so that he fits into the shifting culture? I think it's amazing how even Christians can think that God is ours so that we can build him, we can design him, we can contain him. Another question. How have we tried to seek after God so that we can satisfy our need to be justified, to be right? Do we rely on what good people we are? Do we make sure that people know that we care about the right things? And do we loudly enough denounce the wrong things? Do we make sure to say the word love enough that people notice? It's incredible how even Christians can foolishly think that we can, we can become more acceptable to God, or this one really gets me, that we can maybe be more like Jesus by actually setting aside the word about Jesus. One more question. How many objects of worship have we set up to practice all of that? And this will be a private question. I want you to look around at your own heart. You name them. I think sometimes... God is even unknown to us. See the importance of starting here before we look out there? Once in a while it'll happen where people come up, where someone will come up to me after service and, and say, great sermon, Pastor. I really wish so-and-so were here. They needed to hear that today. <laughs> and and I, I understand it in the kindest possible way because I've heard sermons and thought about another person that I love as well. So it's okay. But my point is, my, my goal, my primary goal in a message is that I, the preacher, will hear that sermon first. And that you, the ones sitting here, will hear it for him or herself first. And as we've taken time to do some self-reflection, I think we know that's true of Paul's sermon too. That we need to hear what Paul has to say to idolaters as much as idolatrous Athenians, as much as the godless world around us. Because it's a beautiful message. You see, after, after Paul exposes their ignorance, and he calls it what it is, it's sin, this is what he goes on to say. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live, we move, we have our being. Maybe this isn't the typical good news sermon, but do you see the good news in this? The gods that we construct, the gods that we worship, and I'm talking lowercase g, false gods, they may be cute and they may be comfortable and they may be convenient for us, but the reality is they're small. They're insufficient. They can never satisfy what we truly need. Man, the God of the Bible? That's a God-sized God. And what I mean by that is he is not created. He's the creator. He created everything in the earth and the universe that we've ever observed and everything that we haven't. 
And what's awesome about our God-sized God is that he's not far away and distant that we have to somehow find our way up to him. Paul says this God draws near to us. That's why our God came to us in the manger in Bethlehem. That's why our God lived our human existence, our life, and he did it perfectly. So as we saw in baptism, he can wrap us in perfection. That's why God died our death, the punishment our sins deserved on the cross. That's why God rose from the dead. That's why God attaches himself right today to the word, to water, to bread and wine. God draws near to us so that he can draw us to himself. He draws us to himself to repent us, to literally turn us away from that sin and ignorance and turn us toward him and his saving love. Uh, He draws us to himself to forgive us, to justify us, to, to give us love and to give us care. What an amazing God. And, and I, I get it. The fact that God loves, that he saves, that he draws near to us, yes, it may be a mystery to our natural human mind. But don't be mistaken. God is not unknown. God reveals himself to us. And when God reveals himself to us, that's when we find one of our biggest purposes in life. Right? To know God. One of our greatest purposes in life is to know God as he reveals himself to us in the saving love of Jesus. And why does he reveal himself to us? It's so that we can live, move, have our being in him without any fear, without any questioning, without any searching. What a beautiful purpose. So self-reflection is important. And I think it's the first thing we always need to do. But here's the thing. Self-reflection does not exclude what we observe around us. Kind of what we started out with. What kind of world am I living in? That kind of thing. It's still out there, and so how do we address that? I will admit that I have a love-hate relationship with the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz. More hate. Because that scared me as a kid. But I I have to use an illustration from that movie. I think it's just fitting. The the famous quote from Dorothy, right? Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And and that saying has become part of our culture. It's, it's It's come to mean we have left what we know as normal. And we have stepped into something uncomfortable and unfamiliar. And I think that's a, a fitting description of us seeing Paul walk around in this big city of Athens with all of its idols. And I think it's a fitting description of you and I walking around in our world today. Now, I said at the beginning, in my, the big question we're answering, I, I called it a godless world. And, and I think that's a little inaccurate. I think what we mean by that is, increasingly, it's void of the true God of the Bible. But there are gods everywhere, right? People are worshiping all around us if we just, if we just have our eyes open. Think about all those things. 
injustice, inequality, discrimination, racism, greed, whether it's individual or corporate, those are idols in some way, shape, or form. Fluidity of sexual identity and gender, freedom of sex, dehumanizing innocent life in the womb, worshiping the planet, deifying science. Those are idols in some way, shape, or form. And so if you're honest, you can't look to the right or to the left and not come to the realization as a Christian that we're not in Kansas anymore. Right? So how does that make us feel when we look at those things? Well, it's like what Paul felt right before our text. It said Paul walked around and he was greatly distressed. We're greatly distressed when we see things that are not like the normal of the Bible, aren't, aren't we? And so it brings us back to our main question, the question of purpose. How can I live and move and have my being in God when I'm in a godless society and world? How do we do that? Again, I'm going to reach outside of our text to what happens right before. And this is what Paul was doing in the Areopagus. Paul reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and Redfearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, the Areopagus, day by day. And the word I want you to focus on is the word reasoned. Reasoned. That word in Greek is almost the exact same as our English word dialogue. Dialogue. That Paul dialogued. I want you to think hard about that. When Christians are distressed about abnormal things they're experiencing in the world around them, how often might they address it? I would submit that it's very often not dialoguing, but monologuing. Right? Do you see the difference between dialogue and monologuing? Monologuing is one person doing all the talking. They will get on a podium and preach. And yes, I am self-aware and realize what I'm doing right now. They will get on social media and denounce the wrongs in as snarky a manner as possible. They will get up in a room and be as loud as they can so everybody in the room can know what they think. And I guarantee you, everyone's thinking of a time we've witnessed that. And the time we've done that. That's monologuing. And that's so often what we do when we're distressed about abnormal things. But when Paul was distressed, he dialogued. There's more than one involved in the conversation. Do you see the difference? Why did Paul dialogue? Well, it's because he knew Jesus. And he knew that's how Jesus reacted when he was distressed over sin. And ignorance. Think about Jesus' interactions. He, he asked questions to bring, bring thoughts so that people could respond. He, he discussed things in order to teach. He sat down and ate with sinners, not to condone and accept them for what they were doing, but so that he could have a conversation and ha bring about a change of heart and then a change of action. It was a dialogue. And that's what Paul's doing here. He had, a, he had dialogue. It's so beautiful. Paul knew these, there, was, there were idols everywhere, right? But he knew 
their natural questions. And so, instead of condemning, he had compassion on them. He knew that they were naturally searching for for answers, and so he created this understanding with them. He knew their natural inclinations and what they would do, and so he wanted to, he found a common ground. And once he did those things, then, then he was able to call out their sin. Because he did that. But ultimately, he cleared a pathway leading to the heart of his message, really to the heart of God. The last verse of our text. To the one crucified and raised from the dead for forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's beautiful. So apply that. You're distressed at different things you experience in the world. No doubt. I am too. But doesn't this help? Dialoguing. Dialoguing allows us to see beyond the distressing actions to the actual hearts of people. And when you look at the hearts of people, you're going to see that everybody is distressed. Those hearts are asking the same questions we all have. And if we're honest... If we're honest, many of the questions being asked today are the right questions. Questions that Christians probably should have been asking for way longer than this. The problem is not the question. The problem is where they're finding the answers. Truly, just like the Athenians, their God is unknown. Of course they're searching. So this is our moment, Christians. Because what they worship as unknown, you know. And so like Paul, you can proclaim to them the known. Dialogue with them. Have compassion on people. Getting to the questions that they're really asking. Uh, Create an understanding with people. Let them know that you're searching for the same exact answers. Find a common ground with people so that you can have a conversation. And then, love them enough to call out sin. That's missing today. Love them enough to call out sin. But do it for the reason of leading to Jesus. Leading to the, to the hope that you have. Leading to the one satisfying answer to all the questions. Leading them to the only one big enough and satisfying enough and sufficient enough for their searching. Lead them to Jesus, the Savior of every single soul. Is there any better way to live and move and have our being in God? What a beautiful purpose. Not only are we here to know God as he reveals himself, we are here to make him known so others have the same hope. In that mystery spot, um, It's funny to go to the website because they have all kinds of explanations as to why things are not normal. Maybe ancient aliens buried magnetic metal deep in the ground and it's causing these phenomena. Maybe it's a magma vortex or maybe it's illusion. But whatever, when you're standing there, like I said, you're just glad that you can get out of it because it's weird. It's confusing. You don't want to live in that world. And yet... We live in a world that's confusing sometimes and, and frustrating and, and distressing because everything does seem upside down. But I pray that God's word today helps you. It helps you to see that it's not really in this world. It's in God 
that you live and move and have your being. And so if it's in God that you live and move and have your being, it's there that you find your normal. It's there that you find your peace. It's there that you find your salvation. That's your purpose in this world. To know God as he reveals himself in the good news of Jesus. To get to know him better every single day. And then to make him known for those who are also searching. Find joy in that purpose. Find meaning in that purpose. Go and live your purpose today. Amen. Amen.